All right. What I love to say is open your Bibles. Open your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 30. Don't you feel accomplished? We have studied every word of this book of wisdom. Remember, we started it because of Ephesians chapter 5 last year, where Paul said, I want you to live not as the unwise. In fact, he even prefaced it by saying, be careful. Be careful to live as the wise, not as the unwise. And again, it's so easy to read those words and say, yeah, yeah. But what does wise living look like? Well, we got an eyeful and an earful of what wise living is. We saw Solomon. At first, we thought he was the most disorganized writer that we've ever seen before. And then we realized that he was such a wise writer because if we would have categorized and put everything in one one category after another, what we would have learned in September, we would have forgot by January. So we constantly need these little two-lined or tidbits of wisdom to be moving through us and reminding us all the time. And now we finish this mighty book that I pray that in the course of summer that you keep going over, that you just keep rereading. Go over and see where you put a star. See where you underlined Let the Holy Spirit help you recall because we desperately need to keep going over God's instructions. And so now as we finish this book, we have these two unknown people because I really wanted to be quite smart this morning and tell you who a juror was. But there's no information on this guy. And I think that God says, because I don't want, I don't want you sidetracked. I don't want you um, dividing your attention. I don't want you to think about who this guy is. I just want you to listen because he is going to be used to about sum it up. So he starts by saying, I am the most ignorant of men. <laughs> and I'm thinking, oh, man, I didn't want some dumbbell to be closing this up if he's the most ignorant of men I do not have a man's understanding and then you know what the Holy Spirit grabbed me around the neck and said this is a wise man who knows that the wiser you get in the Lord the more there is to know And then, as I was feeding on that truth, the Lord said, you know another person who you were astonished when he said, I am the worst of all sinners. And I thought when the Apostle Paul said that, when I read that for the first time, I thought, Paul, of all people, who is my earthly mentor, who is the one that I want to pattern my life after, Because he has had so many struggles in his life and so many disappointments and so many surprises. So many times where he was grabbed around the neck and he was misunderstood. 
And I love the way he's handled it all the time. And I'm thinking, and he's the one that said, I'm the worst of all sinners. And, and I bristled against that. And I'm thinking, no, that's sheer wisdom. When you know what you once were. So really, who should be saying, I am the worst of all sinners? Who should be saying that? Every one of us. And who, after, man, we have, we have done a lot. We've accomplished a lot. I mean, every word of Proverbs, every word of Romans. And yet, who should be saying, I am the most ignorant of men? If any one of you thinks that, well, now I am done with Bible study, because after all, look how wise I am. No, you and I, if we've learned anything, we take these words and we say, I am the most ignorant. There is so much for us. So we are being told as we wind this up, you've just hit the surface. You've got to keep, you have got to keep learning because there is so much more. I have not learned wisdom nor by knowledge of the Holy One. And then he starts asking questions. Look at this. Who has gone up to heaven and come down? Who has gathered up the wind in the hollow of his hands? Who has wrapped up the waters in his cloak? Who has established all the ends of the earth? What is his name? And the name of his son? Tell me if you know. You know what's his name? Jesus. But what a name. And whenever a question, I remember in the Gospels, Jesus loved questions. And you could tell the difference. You could tell the difference when, the, when he was being asked a question because they wanted to trap him or trick him up. But he loved it. It's like when the disciples said, why do you teach in parables? And he says, because I can see if people just want to take that surface message and run with it. Or if they come to me with a question and say, but what does that mean? So when you ask questions and he can see your heart, and if he smiles when he sees your heart asking a question, why are you asking that question? You want to know. You want to learn. You know that there's more. So right away, we've been taught Oh, believe me, you've just touched the service. Keep asking questions. Keep searching. Keep studying. Because then look what he says after that. Go to the Word, because the Word is ever near you. And if you open the two covers, the Word that has every answer for you is absolutely flawless. Every Word of God is flawless. And I was reminded, I went back to 2 Timothy 3.16 where Paul was teaching in this letter to Timothy. He was saying, oh, Timothy, I'm handing it all over to you and please do not ever preach from any other book because all scripture is God-breathed. Every word of it is true and it is going to be used to teach, to train, to correct, to rebuke, everything that you're going to need. It's all between those two covers.
And then you've got the proverb that says, remember. I think these last two proverbs, he is summing it up, and we are to remember. These last two proverbs, nothing new, nothing new. But the way he wrote it is to make sure we remember and think about it. Every word is flawless, and it can be your shield. It's your shield to those who take refuge in him. Now, a shield, as we know, in in the armor, the full armor of God, the shield, if you put out that shield of faith, what does Paul say? It will protect you from every arrow of the enemy. That shield of faith even though you might not understand, you might not even see, but that's what faith is. Trusting him, even when you don't understand why. That shield of faith. That shield is such a protection. And you can have, you and I can have that shield. But look. It's just for those who take refuge in him. So, you know, you got to take a look at it. It's wonderful to know that we've got this shield. We've got this protection. But remember, it's only for those who have put their trust and who've, who totally believe with their heart and have learned to take refuge in him. Because in our human state, where do we really want to take refuge? Where, where is an automatic draw to take refuge in what? In our own self. And what the world's teaching us. And then he says, do not do this flawless piece of work. Don't ever even think about adding to it. Or he will rebuke you and prove you a liar. Now, if you've studied Revelation, did that remind you of anything? Do you want to know how important it is not to add to God's word or to take away from God's word? To add to by saying, this is how you add to. When you read and then you say, yeah, but that's how you add to. Yeah, but um, I've got an exception to the rule. You do not. When he says anyone and everyone, he means you. So don't add to it by adding your, your little two cents, except for. Or see how many times you would say, yeah, but. And, and this is how you take away. Oh, I think I'll just skip that verse. Oh, I think I don't want to hear that. That just kind of, um, it's a little too much in my face. (laughs) Well, this is how important it is. Turn to Revelation 22. You're going to the last chapter of the last book of this flawless piece of work. And not only is it the last chapter, you're talking about the last paragraph. So in Revelation 22, John writes these words, starting in verse 18. I warn, and what's the next word? (laughs) Okay. I warn everyone who hears the words of this prophecy 
If anyone adds anything to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. Okay, I think we know about the plagues. I think we know there's nothing to fool around with. And then he says, and if anyone, anyone, takes words away from this book of prophecy, God will take away from him his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. Do you think he means it? Because every word is flawless, and we don't need to add or take away. And then he goes on and says in verse 7, Proverbs 30, Two things I ask of you, O Lord. Now, you've got a very wise person that only is going to ask two things. Now, if you could ask God anything, how big would your list be? This, This proverb is showing us that you ask for these two things covers it all. Two things I ask of you, O Lord. And you could almost hear him say, please, please do not refuse me before I die. Here's the first one. Keep falsehood and lies far from me. Boy, that is wisdom. Because who do we want to believe? We want to believe the bait that Satan is dangling in front of us that appeases our flesh that we are just drawn to. We've talked this year about being an inner tube that coasts down with no effort down the river. It's easy, but at least a disaster. And so he says, please keep lies and falsehood. The things that are attracted to me, the things that I'm pulled to, the things that I want to believe. The things I want to make excuses for. Keep that away from me. In other words, he's saying, keep your word, your Holy Spirit, that we're so hooked that I hear you. And that's the truth. Because what's the truth nowadays? Only God's word. Nothing else is truth. So please keep everything away from me but your word because it's the only thing that's truthful. So keep me in this book. Oh, that's wisdom. And then here's the second thing he's saying. And and give me neither poverty or riches, but give me only my daily bread. Now, you know that this is a wise person connected to God's spirit because there isn't a human flesh being that would, that would ever say anything but give me more because that's what flesh does. And we've seen it in our world. We've seen people say, I continually want more. You see people that are never satisfied. You see them never contented. The more they have, the more they want. I mean, we all know the cliches. And so this wise counsel is a reminder. I know it just looks so easy. I mean, I looked at that person who who won the lottery this week, 400 some million. I'm thinking, oh, man. That cuts through a lot of tough roads. 
And then I caught myself. I thought, yeah, but you know what? Along the, and, and then you know what came to my mind? That rich young ruler. Because he had everything this world had to offer, and yet he was still a searching soul. And yet when Jesus told him what he really needed, he couldn't do it. And so this wise counsel is just remember. And then he goes on and explains why. If you have everything and you get on easy street, before you know it, look at otherwise I have too much and disown you. And you think, oh, no, I'd never disown him. Oh, don't kid yourself. And then when you say something like, who is the Lord? I, I know that sounds like something I would never say who is the Lord. But when you are so sold on you and you are so independent and you don't feel that need to cling, I need you every hour, You've just pushed him aside. Or, he said, I may become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of my God. Now, that, that doesn't just mean money. Just like rich doesn't mean money. It means you're rich in the things of this world and you don't think you need them. You've believed that falsehood and lie of the enemy. Or, let's say you're poor a poor person is anyone who says, you know, why do you come possibly love me? I mean, look at my past. Look, I'm worthless. I'm helpless. I'm hopeless. I'm reminded of a phrase in, in the book of James, chapter 1, where James says, you poor person who thinks that you're just absolutely worthless and hopeless, you better be thankful that the Lord raised you. And then you rich, haughty person who's so independent and think you don't need, it's a good thing the Lord grabs you around the neck sometime and lowers you. And then I'm reminded, oh, yeah, that's right. We all stand the same at the cross, don't we? So this wise counsel is either way, either just you know, I know life takes us on the ups and downs. I know that some days, you know, let's face it, life is good. But then we know life is tough. And so we go through the ups and downs of life. We can't help it. But you know what Bible study will do? You know what choosing to listen to the Holy Spirit's voice and to wise counsel will do? Keep your spiritual life level during the ups and the downs of life. And then he moves on and says, do not slander a servant to his master or he will curse you and you will pay for it. I mean, it's kind of like out of nowhere. We are given counsel like Solomon did so many chapters interspersedly through. He will remind us words, words. They can kill or they can give life. There are wrong words and there are right words. So just a reminder, and again, because I'm studying the book of James, I, I couldn't help remind myself of what James said about that little tongue of ours. It's like the bit in a horse's mouth. It's like, it's like the rudder that guides a big ship. It's like a spark that can start a forest fire. Words are critical. 
We've seen in the Proverbs, we've seen the word slander, we've seen the words flattery. He said, be careful with those words. And then this was important to me because, and I think it should be important to you, if you've worked hard to have a good name, not only for yourself, but for God's kingdom, that being a person of integrity, that people, when they look to you, they know what you stand for. They know they can trust you. If you've worked hard for that, he is reminding us that words can destroy it, just like that. Your words can destroy it. And then he moves on and paints another picture. There are those who curse their fathers and do not bless their mothers, those who are pure in their own eyes and yet are not cleansed of their filth, those whose eyes are ever so haughty, whose glances are so disdainful, those whose teeth are swords and whose jaws are set with knives to devour the poor from the earth, the needy from among mankind." What a picture. Yuck. You talk about a selfish, self, um, well, I've got to look at this. It's, it's someone who hasn't learned how to control themselves. It's absolutely self-absorbed person. This is what you look like. This is how ugly it gets. This is how heartless you become. <coughs> These are all things that we should just think, oh, but he said, this is what self will do. This is what it looks like. This is what a life looks like without a savior. But this is also what a life looks like even though you might have a savior, but you take him off the throne and you just let the old nature take over. If you aren't taking time to be holy, if you don't know how badly you need him, this is how, this is what it turns out to be. This is what you can look like. And then it's like he says, and in case you, if I haven't painted a bad enough picture for you, he says these next two lines. The leech has two daughters. Now, what in the world is he talking about? I looked at up what is a leech. I mean, I kind of knew, but I wanted words that describe what a leech is. And no matter where I looked it up, I came across the same words. A blood-sucking creature. It is a worm. It is, it just, it just attaches itself and it just, oh, it's a blood-sucking creature. So this wise counsel is, maybe if I throw it in like that, you'll be reminded of how bad you, you look and get. Self is a blood-sucking creature that cares for no one but themselves. And you have two daughters. Now, 
I don't know for sure, but at the way that I sat there and pondered this over and over, he said, now I'm going to let you pick two things that draw you away from the Lord, that turn you from being a self-controlled person, hooked to God's Holy Spirit, listening to wise counsel. Remember we used the word stupid. That you decided to just leave and become that blood-sucking creature that cares only about themselves, and you start, what are the two things that make you do something so stupid? Because when you look at it, when, when old nature rises, it said, what in the world causes the old nature to leave that beautiful new nature what are the two things? And I think the wise person is saying, you pick your two, you know. I sat there for the longest time and I thought, okay, what are my two? What are the two daughters that just have a way of getting me off track? Now, I'm just going to use this as an example, but it can be, Maybe you just cannot get enough of this world. Maybe it's materialism. Maybe it's someone, it's anybody, it's anything that you think you just can't possibly live without. You've made some kind of God out of something or someone of this world. So maybe it's covetedness that you just can't get enough of and he's going he's going to continue into that very theme but he's saying this wise counsel is i just want to wake you up and i want you to be face to face with the reality name two things that pull you back into your old nature And then he says, he says this, look, there are three things that are never satisfied for that never say enough. So I think as he is progressing in this proverb, he's saying, okay, you've got the picture. You've got the visual, and it is pretty. Now I want you to see, I'm going to give you some examples of this world that is just never enough. Just never enough. What he's trying to get us to see is, okay, what is it of this world that you just can't get enough with? Okay, he uses these examples. Very good, I thought. The grave. Never enough. Never ending. I had a day this week. I had to go down Papa. I went by Restlawn Cemetery, and I was gone for the day. I came home the same way, and in the course of the day, I always look at Ruslan. I just, my head always goes, and I always just look at, at the cemetery. And on my way home, in the course of the day that I was gone, five new graves. Five. I probably wouldn't have thought too much of it, except that I was in this proverb. And I thought, true statement. With this world every day. 
Someone passes away, someone dies. It's the one guarantee. And then he uses this, the barren womb. And if you've been affiliated with that personally or know someone, that's a tough one. Land which is never satisfied with water. As much as we love summer, I mean, do you notice when you water your flowers? Man, wouldn't you just love it if that job was only once every couple weeks? But every day, I think of sharing with your garden, every day you're hauling that water because every day that soil is crying out saying, not enough. And then if you've ever watched a fire, if you ever watched on the news, I mean, when California was on fire, it just, it seemed like it was just never ending. Those were great illustrations to say, to show me that things in this world do not satisfy. And what pulls me away? What do I seem to fall to? I just can't get enough. Covet, whatever. And then he goes on. I think it's just, a, again, this progresses. The eye that mocks a father that scorns obedience to a mother. I think he's using that as an example, saying, you know what? To, to me, that's the lowest of low. If your eye mocks a father, if you cannot, if you scorn obedience to a mother, I think he's just trying to say, oh, boy, is your heart in trouble. If you've stooped that low. I think he's reminding us that, you know what, being he kind of takes us to the bottom. But I think what he says, that day is coming, that all wrong is going to be righted. Now watch this. The eye that mocks a father that scorns obedience to a mother will be pecked out by the ravens of the valley, will be eaten by the vultures. Now for you who have studied Revelation, did that trigger? I got so excited when the Holy Spirit helped me recall. Go back to Revelation 19. Or go forward to it. Go forward to Revelation 19. Now the whole chapter is worth reading. Because Revelation 19 is the visual that John writes, that Jesus said... John, I'm going to give you a glimpse of what it's going to look like. So write this down. When I come back, when I return to this earth, I want to make sure people know that when I come back to this earth, I am not going to be riding a donkey the way I came the first time. Remember when Jesus on Palm Sunday, he rode the donkey because the donkey was a symbol of peace. But when Jesus comes back, what is he riding? A white horse, and that is the symbol of war. 
And his, his robe is splattered with blood and his eyes are blazing. That's what it says in verse 12, 13. And why are Jesus' eyes blazing? When he comes back to this earth, his eyes are blazing because he is mad. He is sick of evil. He is head up to the fact of people's rejection. If you've read the previous chapters, there is a tribulation of gradual progression to try to get people to see. But those who do not respond and those who continue to shake their fist and curse his name, Jesus says, John, write. I want you to write this because they're all, all those from every nation who've rejected me are going to conjugate in one place. And there is going to be a battle. It's called the Battle of Armageddon. And believe me, it's going to look like technology at its greatest. They're going to have every piece of ammunition, every piece of technology, and they're going to be watching that blazing-eyed person on that, wide, on that white horse with a multitude following him, which I get kind of excited because I believe that's me. I believe that's you, but I don't want to get into that. Oh, I just love that visual. And Jesus and whoever you believe that army is, do you think when they look at every piece of technology and every weapon known to man, and they hold no weapons at all, do you think they look at that in fear? No, because all Jesus has to do, according to Revelation 19, is open his mouth. And his word is a cutting sword that renders them all dead. Oh, believe me, all wrong is going to be righted. And then Jesus says, John, write this. No, no, this is what is so amazing. Remember what we just read in Proverbs 30? Look at verse 17. And I saw an angel standing in the sun who cried in a loud voice to all the birds flying. Come, gather together for the great supper of God so that you may eat the flesh of kings, generals, mighty men of horses and their riders and the flesh of all people, free, slave, small and great. I don't care who you are. You rejected the powerful name of Jesus. You are laying dead. Birds and vultures of the air have at it. That's brutal. He doesn't mess around. But did he warn us? Look what, how many times in Proverbs did, did Solomon say, now make sure of this. 
Make sure of this. You know that someday, because right now it looks like Evo's winning. But make sure you know that evil will not win. Wicked will be punished. He wants it to be. He wants us to see. There's only two choices. You accept me. Look at at you got. If you don't. So your body either turns to ash in the ground and your soul then is going to get cast into hell. Or when you're alive, when Jesus comes, the body's got to die. And this is the way he does it. And then he says to the vultures, have at it. But then on judgment, that soul of that body will be sent to hell. Now, sorry to be the messenger, but someone's got to tell the truth and to get people ready for this day because we have the moment. That's why he hasn't come yet because his patience, Peter said, is not like our kind of patience. It's called mercy. And it's not as well than any parish. We've got work to do. But this is the reality. This is wise counsel, just reminding us. I take this serious, if I were you. And then he moves on to, he says, you know, in the scope of things, as I have lived on this earth, these things, I still, it just still amazes me. It still amazes me when I look at nature and I watch an eagle soar in the sky. I still can't get over that. And then he says, and it's just amazing to me the way a snake can just slither on a rock and he doesn't even fall over. And what he's just trying to do is he's saying, just look at this creation. It's amazing. That's why Paul said in Romans 1, there's going to be no one without ex- with an excuse because all they have to do is look around. It's sheer glorious and amazing. What makes that sun rise every morning and follow the sky and go down every night? That's amazing. It's amazing. Now, I watch that ship just follow those waves. I can, I can just, I mean, sometimes every, it seems like the older we get, the more we have time for this. And you just take notice. And then he says, and this I will never be able to figure out. Oh, he can take two people, a Venus and a Mars, a man and a woman, so totally different, and combine them as one. That love between a man and a woman something. And then he goes on and he says, but also I want, I want you to remember that this is the way of an adulteress. Now, believe me, he's just using this as an example. Many of these things, he's just kind of saying, I want you to look at this as an example. An adulteress we know is someone who is unfaithful. So, This is a person that's been on 
faithful to God, who cares about himself, who doesn't care anything about God or anybody else but himself. And adulteress is just like, you know what? She can just wipe her mouth and say, oh, that was fun. I didn't do anything wrong. Someone who has no more conscience, whose heart is hard, they can do one evil after another. They can trample people right in the head as they work up the ladder and say, oh, never think twice about it. He said, I am just getting, just warn you. And then he says, under these three things, the earth trembles. In other words, under four, it cannot bear up. He's saying, this is fundamentally not normal. In other words, this shouldn't be. This, this makes the earth tremble because it's just not the way it should go naturally. So this is what he says. A servant who becomes a king. That's not fundamentally normal. But aren't you and I grateful that there was a servant that turned into a king? But is he going to cause the earth to tremble? This is not fundamentally normal either. A fool who is full of food. Because a fool, what is God's objective? That a fool, when it's brought to their attention, what is God's intention? When, when we've all been fools. So when, it's, when our sin and when our need for a savior is brought to our face, what is God's intention? That we get rid of the foolishness, right? That's right. A fool is one who says in his heart that there is no God. It's not just one that says it, because you and I would never say it. We know there's a God. But that's why the psalmist says, a fool is someone who says in his heart. In other words, when you've pushed the Lord off the throne and you've gotten none, that's about the most foolish thing that you and I can ever do. And once we've been made aware of it, that should make us sit up and take notice and say, that has got to be the most idiotic thing I have ever done. That's why he said this is fundamentally not normal. When a fool looks at foolish things and said, I want more fool stuff. Yes. That's true. When we, when, we, when we are the servant and we yet we try to reign over him, that's fundamentally not normal. That's good, too. An unloved woman who is married or a hated woman, whatever your version might say. That's not normal. Because he just said the most beautiful, amazing thing is the love between a man and a woman. A maidservant who displaces her mistress that's fundamentally not normal. Did that remind you of anybody? A maidservant who displaced, you bet, Hagar and Sarah. 
You go back to Genesis and read that story. You talk about what's fundamentally not normal. What a mess. And the whole Middle East is still a mess. And then he goes on and he says, four things on earth are small, yet they are extremely wise. I think this wise counsel is, again, remember, sometimes it's not in the grandeur. Sometimes God's power and God's workings are through the little guy, through you and me, through things we least expect. So he gives an example. Solomon used the ant too. He used the coney. I don't know if you knew what that was. I didn't. So I looked it up. It's, it's like a, a little, it's a rock badger. It's in the rabbit form. It's like a crown hog. But this little thing, it's cute. It's really cute. But instead of digging holes, it says, yet they make their home in the crags, which is on the rocks. They're able to live. And I don't know whether it's their little feet that have things on them. I don't know. But they could just scamper all over rocks and never fall over. Locusts have no king. A lizard or a spider can be caught with a hand, yet it's found in king's palaces. Don't underestimate what God can use. I think that's such wise counsel. And then he's ready to close this, this particular chapter, this particular whoever he is. He's saying, I'm going to wind this up by saying this to you. There are three things, actually four, that move very stately. I call it strutting. A lion, a rooster, a he-goat, a male goat, um, a king with all his army around him. If you picture those, those four things, can't you just picture them? Pretty self-strutting. I've got it all handled. I don't need anything or anybody. He gives us that visual, and then he says, if you've played the fool by exalting yourself, if you're strutting around, independent, instead of singing, I need you, oh, I need you, if you're not taking time to be holy and you start thinking, I am strutting around pretty good. You're in your spiritual cockiness. He says, all right, I'll give you another word picture. As sure as milk, when it churned, turns into butter, and as sure as I am that you twist a nose, it's going to bleed. I'm going to let you in on something. When my best friend and I, we were only five, we were playing forts with clothespins and, and blankets. I was so mean one day. My, my girlfriend was inside the fort, and I knew her nose was right by the blanket, so I took a clothespin 
and I clipped her nose. And I twisted it in a bed. And so when I read that, the amazing thing is, oh, I'm so grateful I'm a sinner saved by grace. And I've said I'm sorry to her many times. Do you know that we're still best friends today? But, but I saw the visual. And he says, I want you to know, as sure as milk turns butter, as sure as a nose bleeds when it's twisted, I guarantee you that anger is going to turn to strife. Now, the thing is, you can leave it there and say, yep, but I think that he's wanting us to stop here and say, I want you to know, because I think he knew we were going to be in Revelation 22. I think he knew that we were going to be in Revelation 19. He knew that we've read every proverb in this course of the year. So he's saying, I'm going to wind up saying, my wrath is nothing to mess around with. And I want you to know that my wrath is going to end up in strife, and it's called judgment day. So as sure as milk turns to butter, as sure as a nose bleeds when twisted, I guarantee you judgment is going to happen. And hell is a real place. Now it's almost 11 o'clock, and I know you're thinking, we haven't even done the last chapter. I do know. I do, and I had this planned. Now, we might go a little over, but I want you to go into the chapter 31. Now, this is by another person, whoever it is, and we don't care. But to me, these last two chapters are very crucial So again, we're not, it's, not, it's not Solomon, we're not talking about him. It's two unknown people that we don't even know anything about, so we don't even get sidetracked. Apparently, it was God's will that these two chapters end this wise counsel. Oh, my son, oh, son of my room, oh, son of my vows, do not spend your strength on women, your vigor on those who ruin kings. What wise counsel would you think before you speak? Would you think before you act out? Would you think about what your countenance is looking like because people are watching? We saw that last week. Look how perfect because this goes with Romans 14. What are you living for? Is it about you or is it about him? What is your main, what is your main goal? To bring the soul closer? Or stand in your own rights and push them away? So he's saying, my son, let me tell you. Think who you listening to who are you obeying? Because it's going to make a world of difference to those who are watching you. It is not for kings. 
It's not for kings to drink wine, not for rulers to crave beer, lest they get drunk and forgive the law decrees and deprive all the oppressed of their rights. I'm sorry I didn't write this. Solomon hit on this subject. This is what is written in the last couple of chapters. He's saying, would you take a look at your life and people are watching and a king is anybody. It's you, it's me, it's anybody who's got people watching, watching us and that's every one of us. We've got children and it's anybody who has said, I'm a Christian, I wear Jesus. He said, if you're so good at telling people, guess what? You've just invited them to watch you. Now that takes on a big responsibility. And you know what that should say to you? That you care more about them than your rights. Oh, I know what a drink has nothing to do with my salvation. But if someone is watching, look what he says. Are you so concerned about your rights and your and your so-called freedom that you are not considered that someone is watching and you deprive them? Because you know what? By your actions, they got confused and said, if that's what Christianity is, if that's what two-faced religion looks like, use that substance for maybe helping someone in pain. Not in your happy times. Think about it. Speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves, for the rights of all who are destitute. Speak up, he says. Why does he have to tell us to speak up? Who does, that, who does that remind you of? The ones who can't speak for themselves. Who does that remind you of? The unborn. The unborn children. And you know why we're in this mess? Because we didn't speak up. Why are we in this mess? Because Christians don't stand up for biblical principles. Because you know what? We're going to get into trouble. Believe me, I know. But if you don't speak up, who, other than the unborn, who are those? It's, it's churches filled with, with weak Christians that are buying into nice words that aren't convicting. Oh, my engineers would rather hear that. We have got to speak up. They don't even know what they're hearing if we don't say something. I saw a billboard. I was getting to get my injections. I saw a billboard. I was driving 70 miles an hour on the freeway. I almost drove off the road. It was a big billboard that was advertising this particular church. It said the church's name. It had the church times. Easter at the church's name with a great big rabbit face with goggles on it. 
Oh, they were trying to be clever. They were trying to be clever. If you wear these glasses, we will help you see. Going 70 miles an hour, are you going to take a look at that big old rabbit with goggles and ponder and think what that could mean? I don't, I don't even know. I'm just saying this, maybe. There was no cross. There was no empty tomb. And then I saw another billboard from another church that said, an empty tomb fills your life. Someone's got the money to put a billboard on the highway. And that's what they choose to do. A big old rabbit with goggles. So I spoke up. I did. I wrote it. I wrote the superintendent of this denomination, and I said, this church has the money to go into all the world, and they're using a rabbit? I don't care how clever your advertising is. If you've got the money to go into the world, you put a cross up there. You don't try to use the ways of the world to capture people. The gospel is good enough. Do you think Billy would have used a rabbit? Do you think Billy would have used April Fool's Day? Because I believe the gospel enough is enough, and I wrote that. And he is worth us speaking up. When we've watched our churches Fear, of course. The gospel is enough. The gospel changes lives. We don't need this world. My own husband said, I got a billboard for you. Because, you know, he knew I was upset. He said, I got a billboard for you, Linnell. He said, how about the cross and say, And that's for you. That's my man. Wouldn't that cause curiosity? What do you mean? And that's what Jesus wants. Ask questions. Go to that church and find answers. I don't need a rabbit. And I know this is being recorded, and I don't care. Did you hear back from him? No. But that's not, that, I don't need that, Llewellyn. I don't need to hear back. I know, I spoke up. I spoke up for the Lord, because I've had it. Because I've studied the words between these two covers. And I've watched people like Paul and Billy Graham stand on truth, and I saw where it got him. And that's the bandwagon I want to jump on. And you know what? I'm not even going to read the rest. And I haven't in any of my classes. I purposely said I am not reading because we have all read Psalm or Proverbs 31. And, we, and all of us women, we've read. Now, don't shut your Bibles. You're not going yet. 
just because I'm not reading it, I just got one more minute to tell you the reason why I'm not, we're not reading it. Because I know you've read it many times saying, impossible. <laughs> there is no way I can be this. Oh, I could check this, 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 but I can't. There is no way. Why would a wise person, why would God himself want to end this wise book of instruction with something that's not attainable and be a joke? And for us to close and say, well, because he wanted you and I to see, and that's what it looks like if you do it. If you study Proverbs, every word, and you, what, what did, when we started, I said it's going to be all about listening, learning, and obeying. Applying it, letting it change you, choosing to listen to wisdom instead of folly, allowing the power of God's spirit to be so connected to him that you hear him instead of yourself being a blood-sucking leech that goes down. You want to listen to, you want to, listen to God's wisdom. He said, that's what it looks like. Isn't it beautiful? And it has nothing to do with you. Did you notice as you went through line by line, and nothing to do with her? It was all the way she could live for the Lord and for others. And look what she could, look what she could achieve. Look at her productivity. I'll tell you, this woman's fulfilled. This woman's content. This woman is satisfied. This woman has all she needs. She has, she was born of, she was not born of noble statue. She had noble character. She had noble character. That means she chose others' interest more than herself. That's noble character. That's Christ-like character. She had noble character. And that's what happens when you live rightly. So, that's the end of Proverbs. That's the end of this lesson for today. And I say, let's go out there and be changed women. Have a good week.